Hello listeners, this is Lee Price. This is Will Ford from Football365. And you're listening, smartly, to At, At The, the Bridge, Bridge Pod, Pod, a Chelsea, Chelsea FC podcast. podcast, although I would describe it as THE Chelsea FC Podcast. What's up everyone, you're listening to At The Bridge Pod, a Chelsea FC Podcast, your number one source for all things Chelsea. This episode... Podcast unavailable. Hear what we did there? Well, if you weren't on Spotify earlier this week, you wouldn't. But we're back, and so are the lads. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of At the Bridge Pod. It, it was a huge week in the Champions League, and I'm one happy person because we are champions. Five to an aggregate. Yeah, I'm on about. The real Champions League, the CONCACAF Champions League final, Seattle Sounders, first MLS side in the modern era to lift the trophy. Everyone knows I love Seattle and the teams, but it's, for me, it's special. But guys, are you into the MLS at all? At, at all? Uh, Going to be honest, absolutely <laughs> not. And uh, that's no disrespect. I just don't really have time to watch it. When I watch it, I've not really been that invested in it. Um, not saying that like, you, you, you're not allowed to, like, you know, sell, that's cool. Um, I'm just not that invested by it. So, you know, each to their own. Oh. Uh, I watch the highlights every now and again, but I'm not really into it, if you know what I mean. For the, for the record, Shaka Hislop, former goalkeeper at, I think, Liverpool. I know he's at West Ham and I remember him at Portsmouth. He was, I yeah. think he was at Newcastle as well. If I'm yes. Uh, he did his power rankings. Now that's kind of how the teams are at the moment. And he's picked, he picked Liverpool number one, then Madrid, then Rangers, then Frankfurt, then Milan, Ajax, then Seattle, Feyenoord, Roma and City. That's his top 10. Uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I know Chelsea aren't in it, but I just love the fact that Seattle are above City. <laughs> It's brilliant. I was like, I agree, 100%. But as always, though, we're going to kick off with another round of who is that former blue. Now, I'm I'm ready for this one. Uh, This former blue, he's played so far, played for eight clubs. Two of these, he's had a spell at twice. He has won the treble, the the actual treble. Uh, He's completed... Only 90 minutes once in the league campaign, and he played only 34 minutes in the Champions League campaign of said treble. And he's played with Guti, Sulimantari, and Phil Babb. Wow. I have absolutely no clue. Has Phil Babb thrown you? Was that the name where you were like, I've got this? What? No, no I think I think Sulimantari. And who was the other one? Sulimantari, Phil Babb, and... As I drink some coffee, um, Guti. That, what, that, I'm, what what mix of players that is? I, mean, I know he's a cult icon. In I think he doesn't get enough credit. Guti, no, totally agree. And I think Phil Bab. Um, <laughs> please tell me everyone remembers when Phil yes, Bab got. I know um, what you're gonna go. Yeah. With. Oh, Let's just say, I, Phil. I think he, I think he was a bit sore that weekend. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I saw one mix I saw of players. One. I can't remember. It was something on. It came up on my Twitter where a baseball player hit the ball and it went straight into his crotch. And I was like, "Oh, he's gonna. He can't walk. He can't. He's not gonna be able to walk." You oh, know, God. for someone for someone who plays cricket um, and has been hit in uh, that hair area with a uh, cricket ball, I can honestly say 
is one of the worst pains and feelings that you could ever imagine. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, yeah. I bet. I mean, you I see mean, the light. You see the light. I'm telling you now. You see a light, and you think this is it. This is it. Honestly. I mean, everyone knows that incident was against Chelsea as well. Yeah, <laughs> and it was. It's even on. It's got its own wiki. It's got its own wiki entry under Phil Babs. <laughs> that there. But but can you can you know the player who scored the goal? Oh no. No, definitely not. Chris, can you? No. It is Kasaragi. No, I mean, he's, look at that burst hijack in the quiz. What was going on? I know. That's the perfect segment to quickly we, get into that newsroom. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, let's do that. Let's see what the latest is at Stamford Bridge. Now, there's always some major news discussed but i think we thankfully haven't had any major breaking in the last half an hour before recording like last week so this script has not been thrown away and redone so let's find out what went down in our weekly roundup in the elevator of chelsea news chelsea will begin negotiations to sign jules kunde and pal torres as soon as the new owners are in place chelsea are reportedly keen on signing josco garvadol Juventus are keeping tabs on Kepa Rita Balaga over a possible loan deal. Mason Mount's priority has always been to stay at Chelsea and there are no doubts about his commitment to the club. Sir Jim Ratcliffe was set to resubmit a Chelsea bid if Todd Bowley did not finalise the takeover this week. Tom Henning of Rabot admits Chelsea did deserve a penalty in that infamous 2009 defeat versus Barcelona. Bruce Buck and director Moon at Gran of Sky have been offered the option to stay in place under Bowley's ownership. And Roma Bramovic released a statement squashing all of that speculation and nonsense shared by some media outlets this week in regards to the takeover. Ah, uh, well, only one place to start. And I know our listeners will wish to hear your thoughts, guys, on this. So, bit of a catch everyone up to speed. If you, you, There's no way anyone's missed it, but still. Um, yeah, earlier this week, some media publications stated that Roman Abramovich had changed his mind about this £1.5 billion debt. He wants it repaid. Now, as we sit here, it seems the reports of his debt are greatly exaggerated. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we some started to worry, panic and, and the like, and we understand that, we do. But as a team and a podcast, we, we were quite strong. I was quite strong on the stance that it was total speculation and highly likely to be rubbish. I mean, it, it has it has proved to be exactly that. And now the backtracking begins, doesn't it? So from articles being published and up to the actual statement itself from Roman, guys, how were your feelings? How did they change from the, the original article to the Roman statement? Um, to be honest, when I first saw the article about um, about Roman, I just thought straight away, I just said, that's, that's bullshit, basically. Um, I just, I didn't believe it for one second because Roman Abramovich just has never ever seemed like that sort of person. Um, and I just, I went when it came out that oh, it was bullshit. I was like, well, yeah. And then obviously, obviously it was, and I weren't surprised by it. And then, and then you see the these so-called journalists. I mean, I, I really do emphasise the so-called bit because some of them. I really don't know how they've got a job. Um, it's 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 baffling. It really does baffle me that these people spread this sort of 
news and, and like it's like gus- the gospel truth and in, in fact it is it's anything but and it's frustrating it's, it make, it does make me really angry and i'm sure it makes you too angry as well um i always knew that it was going to be bullshit um so it didn't surprise me and i just think that it was a liverpool owner or if it was a man united owner or man city owner i do honestly believe that this would be portrayed differently um and i know it's going to sound very like biased and very bitter on my end, but I do honestly think there is <laughs> there's too many things that's happened recently and over the past couple of years that makes me think there genuinely is an agenda against Chelsea, um, and and it really shouldn't be the, the case, but um, but it seems like it is, and it it's really really frustrating more than anything, and that's how I felt for the large part of last week. Mm. I, I, look, when when it originally, I did say it, funnily enough, it was behind a paywall as they always are. And when I read through the article, it felt a lot of speculation more than fact. And we did tweet that there was zero chance Chelsea don't play in the Premier League next season, because obviously there was all this, well, they're going to go under, etc, etc. And in the tweet, I've put, see you at the end of May, when the majority of our takeover is complete. And some people are going, yeah, you're going, you're going to go to the wall liquidation. I didn't believe it. I, I didn't because Roman's always been consistent. He wants the club to be to a respectable, suitable ownership, and he didn't want that money. I don't understand why he would have suddenly gone, I want that money. That that was my thoughts on it, and it was proven right. And that statement certainly did come out of nowhere. I didn't expect it myself. Uh, Chris, what, what? how are you feeling this week with it? Um, a bit like you two, really. I mean... I didn't believe it for a second because, like you said, Mike, if if he really wanted that money back, he, why would he just suddenly decide that when we were so close to having the takeover complete? Mm. He he would have brought that up way before then. And to be honest with you, with most of these news stories now, I don't really believe anything until it's concrete. It's the same with transfer rumours. I don't believe anything until I see him holding the shirt because there's so much now. I think journalists now are, are more concerned about generating traffic to websites and it's almost now like clickbait used to be something which people hated but it seems like everything is that now and even so-called respected journalists do it they just try and they try and like drive that traffic by saying stuff that that, making it sound like something is matter of fact when it's not they don't seem to use like words like allegedly or according to sources and that sort of stuff anymore. It's all like they report everything now like it's done. And mm. a lot of the time it isn't. So I think until something concrete happens, I think, I think don't, don't, don't believe in anything at the minute because I agree with what Berth said. I think if it was Liverpool, Man United, all of this would have been reported completely differently i think um it had almost started to go too smooth for chelsea so they thought we better first banner in the works because chelsea fans at the minute are probably too happy with this and so let's scare them them a bit and that's all the media's full of now not just sport but all over just scaremongering all over the place i mean you're suggesting there not to believe the transfer rooms are you telling me that hulk is not going to sign for chelsea because I'm pretty sure he's been linked with us since 2002. 
breaking news, that is, mate. He's, he's uh, not, I, I, I always wanted Hulk at the club, and I'm sure Man United always wanted Wesley Schneider, and he's still linked with them, probably. I'm sure he's coming back for out of his retirement. Uh, look, I, I think I feel going forward, I feel like the majority of Chelsea fans will not trust what they read from these sources because, you know, you, you feel burned by them all. And it is as simple as that. I mean, yeah, they, I guess certain outlets are going to have certain sources, whether they're right or wrong. But you do have that responsibility when you report that news that it's as, as correct as it can be. I mean, we, we do live in a world where it feels like a source would rather jump on a false story than miss out on a big scoop. There, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, that's the point. You saw a lot of outlets jumping on this story and I thought, yeah, you'd rather, there were certain ones that, fair play to them, um, stayed out of it and went, no, we're going to wait. Our sources aren't saying this, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and then when it obviously does go wrong, Instead of saying, oops, look, look, we messed up, <laughs> they seem to double down on it. And it sucks because we should be able to have some sort of form of trust, I'd say, between the media and the fan base. And this applies in this applies not just to Chelsea fans, but to all fan bases. You know, you kind of like to think there's a little bit of respect and trust. And it it was kind of wasn't it didn't, didn't feel like it. And I'd say, I can't really say it's broken because I'm sure many people have their feelings, whether they believe a transfer rumour or an in-the-knower source or whatever. But I know personally I'm going to be very mindful reading a story and being 100% confident that what I'm reading is true. That's that's sort of how I see it. I don't know if you have any extra bits on it. No, to be honest, I, I, I totally agree with you, mate. Um, especially, like you want some trust from the from the people that you're sort of um that are producing the news producing the rumors you know you sort of want to you want to gain some trust you want to you want to like believe them um but they're giving you so many reasons not to believe them um and it's sort of just you start to think well who, who can i sort of where do i get my news from what what do i believe what do i trust um and, and this is why social media is so bad because there's so many different types of media outlets now and so many different sources and and this and that and you just you just don't know anymore and, and that's the real problem um ah. that you, you just sort of back yourself into a corner really and just think well who do i listen to I, I think it's it's safe to say and i'm sure chris will go yep um we as much as we enjoy the speculation that in the no accounts sort of do and they're not journalists as such they're literally just usually in the know sort of styled we see, oh, uh, I don't know, say Haaland to Chelsea confirmed or something. You're like, oh, yes. You get a bit excited and then nothing ever happens. And you yeah. sort of forget that and you only remember the hits instead of the misses. Uh, but the thing, the thing is with that, though, yeah. you, you'll get someone, like, you get like an in the no account, uh, or put someone on Twitter, he gets a few retweets, and all of a sudden you get someone like, um, like a, a sport barber or a lad barber or a talk sport, um, and they'll say, this is happening and then you'll get more and more people believing it and then all of a sudden mm. there's a large amount of people saying oh he's going to chelsea and when it doesn't help it happen you're like oh, oh. yeah exactly <laughs> and, and that and that's where the problem lies it's just almost like a snowball effect going down a hill you just yeah. you gathers momentum and it just can't stop chris any final thoughts on on the statement and everything with the media this week i think now as well just picking up on what youtube was talking about it's it's like big media outlets now are so scared of being 
beaten to a story by just yeah. someone on Twitter that they will literally report anything. Like Sky Sports News, for example, used to be like the go-to place for like as a reliable source. Like if they put it on the little yellow ticker tape thing, <laughs> the breaking news, like especially with transfers, if it went on there, you thought that deal is actually happening. That's mm-hmm. almost soil, almost signed, sealed, delivered. That's if it if it went on there, that was reliable. But even that isn't now. A few weeks ago, they had the yellow ticker tape for Erling Haaland to Man City. Nothing's happened since. He might still sign for Man City, so they might turn out to be right. But it seems like everything's so premature now that it is just like they are scared in case some guy on Twitter says it first, and then they're yeah. like, "Oh, how how did you get beat to that story by just some guy on Twitter?" Like, I, I just think they've got to be more responsible big media companies especially like your talk sports and your sky sports news is bbc the same they've got to be more careful about the news that they report and if someone if it's gathering momentum on twitter check it out first before putting it out there to the mass people Mm. yeah i mean i was very young and i i remember one story that sky sports news broke and it was huge and they were right and that was Anderson and Nanny both joining Man United. I think it was like 2007, six time. I remember that very profoundly. And now if I saw that news, obviously I'd be shocked if they're coming back. But uh, I kind of doubt it because you, yeah. you, you, and it's a shame. But it, that's that's the what we have to use our common sense, I suppose, and treat everything with until that until the corner flag picture gets put up on the Chelsea website with confirmation or the players holding that shirt. Just ease back on the hype, I suppose. Uh, usually, though, we, we drop listener questions at the end of the pod. But this week, no midweek action. And the chance of doing a topic being a little out of place um, as we approach those final days of the campaign. We felt a listener question special instead. So kicking it off, we have Ollie J. Carpenter. And he asked, which Chelsea player do you think is going to thrive under the new ownership? Ooh. That's a very, very tough question because, I mean, if you just said we got a new manager in, then you could argue um, you can make more of a judgment thing. But a new, um, a new owner is uh, is a different sort of story. Matt Miaska, I'm just going because it's a is, bit he of, still a, is he still? He is, yeah, he's, is he's he on loan at Alaves at the moment. Well, um, that's his fifth cool, loan. <laughs> yeah, what a boy he's been. Um, but no, I, I think. I mean, we joke and laugh, but I think if you were to get, I think whoever his new his first signing will be, I think will be the one to look out for. I'm not going to say a specific player because I think that's very hard to judge on sort of from a new owner because um, he obviously can't employ tactics or anything like that. That's the manager's job. But mm. I think if you look at who he's going to buy, which I'm presuming is going to be a centre back, I think they'll be the ones to look out for, um, especially if. So if it's his purchase and not the manager's purchase, I think it'll be a, a really interesting one to look out for. Chris? I think it could be Conor Gallagher, you know. Um, yeah. yeah I, I think mainly because I think the the change of ownership has caused probably some doubt around the club. And I think some of the more senior players whose contracts are running down may look to move on, which will open a space for Gallagher we don't know how much money they're going to throw at the squad. And I think it could be like almost a perfect storm for Gallagher. Like he's had this really good loan at Palace and he's coming into Chelsea now at a time when 
he probably will get opportunities because we've got to spend so much money in other areas. If a Jorginho or a Kante did leave in the summer, for example, I don't think we'd automatically sign a replacement. I think he would get that chance because we would have spent so much on the defence. So I think it's almost like perfect timing for Gallagher. And I think he could be the one who really has his breakout season at Chelsea next year. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I mean, I'm all on this Conor Gallagher bandwagon and I hope it pays off. Uh, Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. I think that first major signing as well is going to be the the poster poster player. Who will it be? It probably will be a centre-back if we're realistic. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Have, it, it could be... Yeah. Um, we better hope it's not Declan Rice. No, I can't see. I, I think he's been priced out of a move. I really believe he's been priced out of a move because 150 million, if that's true, someone pays it, he's then the second most expensive player in the world behind Neymar and ahead of Mbappe. I, I just can't see it happening. I'm being honest, I can't. But we'll see. Um, next one, Caleb Seekins. He's asked, what does the general Chelsea fan base want from the club over the next 10 to 15 years? He said that over the years, he feels like he's grown to expect Madrid United historical levels of success. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, and he wants Chelsea to have more league and Champions League titles than anyone else. Is that too greedy as a fan? Um, no, it's not too greedy. I think we took it for granted being Chelsea fans, um, winning trophies. Um, I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. This sound very, very um, almost arrogant, but I think it, we've almost made winning trophies look quite easy over the past 15 years under Abramovich um, because we've won, won one pretty much every year or every other year, um, whereas most clubs haven't. Um, so I think... Uh, I think it's a lot to ask um, to sort of maintain this success, um, especially under a new owner. Um, it will probably take a bit of time, but look, you don't know. Um, will we win more Premier Leagues and Champions Leagues than Man City or Liverpool in the next five or ten years? I don't know, because at the moment they are a completely different level to anyone else on the planet, I think, um, even if Man City are massive bottle jobs. But I think... Uh-huh. I think um, you look at it, it's uh, we will win trophies, whether they're Premier League, Champions League, I don't know, but we will still win trophies because it's just what we do. It's all, almost in our DNA, uh, DNA now. And that, that started from Roman pretty much. And I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. Chris? Uh, I mean, no, I don't think it's being greedy. I think you should always aim for the highest point you can get and then just judge it as the seasons go on. I think that's the way, that's the most realistic way of doing it. I think the main thing, I mean, I can't speak for most Chelsea fans, but I, I just, what I want to say is I, I don't want to see us become one of them clubs who celebrates mediocrity. I think like you said, Beth, we've made winning trophies look easy and that's because Abramovich has never settled for mediocrity. I mean, sometimes yeah. he's, he, sometimes he sacked managers where, where, you think, well, they're not even mediocre. They're actually elite level. And he's thought, well, what I'm seeing isn't that. So he's I think you need to name drop Carlo Ancelotti there. It's I, think Con- I, think, yeah. I think Conte as well. I mean, you look at Conte. Yeah. I mean, look what he's won. I, I, I think him getting sacked is quite harsh as well, as well as Ancelotti. It probably didn't help when he upset Diego Costa. 
No, but you look at those. I think those are the prime examples of world class managers, and I mean one of the best to ever, do, two of the best to ever do it. Um, just sort of thrown aside after one won an FA Cup, and the other one um, came second. And um, what's did he win a trophy? Did Ancelotti win a trophy in his second season? Uh, no. FA Cup, wasn't it? Oh no, no, won, no you're right. Uh, and then won nothing, but we did finish second and was yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we did. He won the FA Cup because yeah, I, I thought, the photo, I thought yeah. yeah, I thought won the FA Cup, yeah, but he, he, the... He, even so, like, I mean, just to be sort of sold that 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 is ruthless, that is a ruthless mentality. Where you look at Arsenal back in the day, you look at Spurs, they would have kept those managers, whereas Abramovich didn't. And I think when the new owner comes in, you'll you'll find out soon what his real ambitions are and how ruthless mm. he, he truly is, and that's where you'll know what, what direction yeah. Chelsea's heading. Well, yeah, Todd Bowley obviously talks winning is the important thing. So obviously, he talks about his baseball franchise that he owns in the Dodgers. It's 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 is, easy to say stuff. You've got to back it up, but we'll see. Go on, Chris. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, well, up though is like in a lot of American sports, there's only one trophy you can win. So the mm. success, yes, you either mm. win that trophy, or you don't. Whereas in football, there's so many different things. And if we start becoming a team who celebrates winning the League Cup, like we finish the season in the top four and we win the League Cup and everyone's like, oh, what a fantastic season. It's like, well, is it though, really? Like under Abramovich, that would never have been seen as a good season. But I, you can, I can already kind of see it now. Like people almost accepting that we've dropped off that, that perch. And like I seen someone the other day say, if, Liverpool don't win anything else except the Champions League and we finish third and win the FA Cup, we've had a better season. And I thought, well, no, we haven't. Because mm. finishing third it, finishing third isn't a trophy. It's it, it's nothing. It's meaningless. It, mm. it, the FA Cup would be a great achievement, but I, I, I would have no problem in us celebrating winning FA Cups because I think it's the biggest domestic trophy that you can win, aside from the league, obviously. But... I don't want to. I don't want to be an Arsenal or Spurs. My main concern about this takeover isn't anything to do with investment in the team and all that. It's starting to become one of them clubs who like starts celebrating finishing fourth because being in the Champions League is so important. Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, you, I mean you're right about as well. One trophy. I mean, no one, no one talks to me about Super Bowl Forty Nine. <laughs> you don't need to do it. It's it's painful when you only have one trophy you can win and you lose that. Uh, it, it does. It hurts. Um, at Jack's footy, he's asked, despite everything, if Chelsea get third, which is funny that we've just been <laughs> mentioning that, if Chelsea get third, they have not underachieved. Would like to hear your opinion. I'm going straight to Chris here. Yeah, I think, I, I think we've won because they, you could argue we've won the Club World Cup and the Super Cup. I feel that's been probably not been mentioned in the tweet, but I feel that's probably also in the back of his mind. Yeah, but I mean... Oh. Again, I've said this a lot on Twitter that the Super Cup and the Club World Cup are great things to win when you're in them. But would we call them major honours? I mean, the Super Cup is the European equivalent of the Community Shield. It's it's exactly the same sort of trophy. So the Club World Cup is a little bit different because you have to win the Champions League to get there. I think that's the only thing that gives that sort of more prestige. But then the teams that you're playing, you should beat. So again, it's it's one of them that it was good to win while we was in them because obviously we wanted to complete the set. But I, I personally wouldn't class them as major honours. Um, I think it, it's difficult because as the season goes on, you your priorities change. But if you look at what we were talking about in August, we have underachieved massively. 
It's it's tough because Liverpool and Man City are so good and so consistent. But I think if we'd finished comfortably third, then I think he would have been right. I think if we'd finished third, 10 points ahead of fourth and six points off Man City or Liverpool, whoever finished second, then yes, I'd say we haven't underachieved. That was a that's a more than respectable season. But you know, if we finish third, three points ahead of Arsenal and ten behind Liverpool or City, whatever, whoever finishes second there, I don't think it's I don't think it's an achievement at all. I think it's difficult because of the expectation at the start of the season and we haven't won the Premier League in what feels like a long time. Uh, yeah, I mean, we to be fair, with the Club World Cup, we'd entered it a few times and never won it. We finally did. We've obviously we won the Super Cup before in '98 when we beat Real Madrid. So, it, but that was before I remember stuff. <laughs> so it was nice to finally lift that in my memory. Um, Berth, what, what do you think? Is third place enough? Um, I think you always feel disappointed or slightly disappointed finishing third, um, especially if you don't win anything. I think if we win the FA Cup, I think it'll make third a little bit sweeter. But I think when you look at how good Man City and Liverpool are, I mean, at the minute, they are ridiculous, let's be honest. And it's sort of a mixture of us being a bit off the pace recently um, and them just being wow, that's, so, that's so... Wow, that's one way of putting it. No, yeah, obviously, we've been worse than that, but I'm trying to be nice. But like, I think those two have been far way ahead of, of everyone else. Um, I mean... How many games in a row have both those teams won? Um, something ridiculous. I mean, Liverpool are on for the quadruple. Man City are bottle jobs, but they're still going to win the Premier League, probably. Um, and they're obviously an incredible team. So, it's no disgrace finishing third behind them. I do agree with Chris. If it had got a bit closer, I think third would have been nicer and more... I felt more achievement finishing third, but because we're sort of dwindling and we're probably not going to finish fourth. We're definitely not going to get anywhere near second. It's just sort of meh. So, yeah, yeah. so if we if we win the FA Cup, it'll make third a bit better. But I think if we don't, it's like yeah, not not really that bothered by it to be honest. Yeah, I see, I see what you mean. I mean, we'll we'll round it off with a cheeky entry from myself. We've we've got Jorginho and Ngolo Kante. They've got contracts. They've got one year remaining once the season's concluded. Which would you sell this summer if? We're only able to retain one of them. Hot take time. Oh, that's, that's a very good question. Uh, you know what? I'm going for it, Kante. I sell Kante. Yeah. I, I, th- I think you get my I've, I've been I here think, before. I know. I'm not saying sell Kante. That's <laughs> not what I'm saying. But then if you had to sell one of them, I think you get more money for Kante. I think... I just think you get more money for Kante and you can invest money better that way. I don't think you get much for Jorginho. I think you get a bit, but I don't think you get as much as if he was to sell Kante, in my opinion. I think I'm. if, if someone said, I've got to decide, I mean, you'd love to retain both, but if you have to of course, decide, yeah. I think the Kante sale makes sense because yeah. of, as well as the injury record, that's not been great but I, I've been here before I've been here before saying injuries and then he had a stellar season so you, you know, know what as well I mean, this sounds ridiculous really the way I'm putting this but I think Jorginho uh, we haven't got anyone else like Jorginho in the squad 
Mm. I know Kante is world class and he's ridiculous and has been unbelievable, but I think you, we haven't got anyone that can dictate the play like Jorginho can. Kante is totally different to Jorginho, but I, and I think Kovacic can do the ratting that Kante can, and you know this and that. Um, not saying he's better than him, but he can kind of do the same job. Whereas Jorginho, no one can do the job he can. No one can sort of dictate that play, dictate that tempo. Um, and I just think we need someone like that. We also need a Lingolo Kante, and I'm not saying to sell him, but you'll get more money for Kante. And I think with Conor Gallagher coming back, mm-hmm. he, can, he can he can possibly fill that role. Um, I'm not saying you do it as well, but you can possibly fill that role. And um, and yeah, and, and that's that's the logic behind my answer, I think. Chris, round us off. What what are you thinking? Uh, I agree with with Beth. I I would sell Kante. Um, if that if if it was a choice between the two, I think I'd sell Kante. I think Jorginho does something which no one else in our current squad does and actually would be really hard to replace. I think Kante uh, probably 18 months ago, two years ago, would I would say was irreplaceable. Agreed. I don't, I don't yes. think he is now. I don't think he... Uh, the way he's played, aside from the Champions League run, which he was fantastic in last year, his league form last year as well wasn't brilliant either. Uh, and I don't think this season he's been great. I think he's had really good little spells, but overall hasn't had a brilliant season. I think Kante now is replaceable. And I think we have already got people in the squad who could do a similar job, probably not to the same level as Kante on a good day, but Kovacic, Loftus-Cheek, Gallagher are all sort of box-to-box players, just like Kante is. And I don't think we've got another Jorginho who can be a deep-lying playmaker and dictate the tempo of a game. And I do think they're harder to find as well. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right there. I, I think that's the perfect segue to the Chelsea Wolves preview because both of those midfielders are missing this weekend. So are Hudson-Odoi and Chilwell. Chilwell, unfortunately, kind of kind of expected that. Uh, what are you thinking? What are you thinking ahead of Wolves? I think the only Win. positive... I think the only positive we've got going for us is that Wolves aren't really playing for anything at the moment. So maybe that will help us, but we're at home. I'm not, the problem is I'm not positive about any Chelsea game at the minute. Um, if we play to our best, obviously, of course, we're going to win, but Wolves are going to come out. They're going to set up. If um, They're going to play a low block, no doubt. Um, quick on the counter, very dangerous on the counter. Ruben Neves and Martino are fantastic. Midfield players, so you got to get close to them. You can't let them spray them passes. Um, I, I think Loftus Cheek's got to play after his current form. I think he was fantastic against Everton, and one of the only players that probably deserves to keep his place. Um, other than that, uh, you've just got to be better than you was against Everton. You've got to want it more. You've got to pick up the intensity. You've got to play the ball with a lot quicker tempo, um, and we've just got to be a thousand times better than we was against Everton. I'm, I'm, I think it's going to be a close game. I'm going to go one nil. Oh, do you know what? I think the only thing that's given me a bit more confidence going into this game was Tuchel's press conference because he said mm. something in there. Not mo- not most of it because let's face it, the questions they ask in these press conferences are ridiculous. But <laughs> the part that's actually about the game, uh, he said something which I, I've been critical of Tuchel a lot lately. Um, 
But I think this will be a turning point where he said in his press conference today that we won't hurt Wolves by just having possession of the ball. When they lose the ball, we've got to turn it over quicker. Now, I mean, I've been saying that for weeks, but um, if we go and play like that, then I think we'll win the game. And I think it'll be really telling that if we don't, then there's obviously a breakdown somewhere between Tuckle and the players. Because if he's saying that in a press conference, so he knows that that's the case, and then the players don't go and do it, then maybe the you know the players are letting him down. But I think if we go and do that, I think we can beat Wolves. Because they do like to open up on the counter-attack, and they do throw numbers forward when they attack. So there are spaces there to exploit when you know if their attacks break down. I think it'll be a tight game. Let's face it, but unless it's like a Southampton type game where we just turn up and for some reason on the day put all our chances away, we don't tend to put anyone to the sword. So I'm gonna say KG, but two nil. I'm gonna back that. I'm gonna back that. Ambitious to have two goals in a game from us recently, but hey. Uh, uh, hold up, what's that? Wildcard quiz. Uh, Chelsea Wolves. It's happened a fair bit in the Premier League, but what about in the League Cup? I thought I'd throw this in. Um, the last one was in September of 2012. We won 6-0. Can you name those goal scorers? Uh, Fernando Torres? Y- yes. Ramirez? No. no. Uh, Gary Cahill? He is. He's on it. Yeah. You got two or six. Uh, They're all unique. Come on, Chris. Victor Moses. He is on there. It's because you've already looked this up, haven't you? <laughs> No. Uh, <laughs> and I remember that goal and I don't know why. So you've uh, got one more Englishman, a span two Spanish, uh, and that's it. Yeah. Matter? Yeah. Um Aspiriqueta? No. No, 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 no. A midfielder Never... and a defender. Both not at the club, but both are in the Premier League. Still. Romeo. Yes. Oh, Using is you say he's another Englishman. Yeah. Defender. Yes, he uh, made his he made a debut in a famous game. <laughs> was it? His, I don't think it was his full debut. Maybe it no, was. no, I don't think it was his full debut. I think he started nah. before then. But he de- he certainly played in the Champions League final. That is yes, that is did. for sure. That is for sure. Yeah. Well, you got to say his name. Ryan Burton. Just, it wasn't. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Can you guess, though, who scored the penalty? Romeo. Yeah. I love it. I love that. I don't know why he took a penalty with all those players on the pitch, but hey. Scored, um, and that's all that matters. It does. Um, we're coming to the end, obviously, of another episode. But hey, it's it's time to find out who that former Blue is. So at the start, I said that he played for eight clubs. Two of these, he's had a spell at twice. He has won the treble, and he completed 90 minutes once in the league campaign, and... 34 minutes in the Champions League campaign of said treble. He's played with Guti, Montari and Phil Babb. Do you want some extra clues? Yes, please. Right, he's played in the Premier Liga, La Liga, Serie A, the Turkish Super League and the UAE Pro League. <laughs> that, that hasn't helped one bit. Okay. Right, if I say he played with Guti at Besiktas... Not Real Madrid. Um, he played for Besiktas. No, it was, I, it, I didn't it know. Was one season before he retired. 
Suleiman Tari was at Inter Milan and Phil Babb was at Sport in Lisbon. Um, I think I might have it. Maybe. Just to give Chris some help here, he scored the winning goal in extra time against Croatia in the last 16 years. Yeah, I've got it. I've got it, I think. I've got it, I think. I, I haven't got a clue. Oh, like... You're going to drop an absolute banger of an answer. Go on. Is it Charisma? It is. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I, I, I forgot what he's, he's famous. The, what's it called? Travella. That's the one. I was thinking of Rabona, and it's not that. It's not that. <laughs> oh, he, he played on loan. <laughs> he wasn't quite what we expected, but he's had a great career for him. He really yeah. has. Bit of a cult figure, isn't he? Bit of a he, maverick. He is, for sure. Uh, with that, though, we've come to the end of the episode of At The Bridge Pod. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram if you do not already follow us. Just search at At The Bridge Pod. Uh, we'll be back Monday to cover the Wolves game. Maybe some ownership stuff, because apparently that contract's being signed today. We'll see. Who knows? Uh, but till then, that is us signing off.